Why you know? do they have a spiral staircase <laughs> where pensioners come? All I saw was that old lady getting out of the back of the bus in the wheelchair. I was like, she's not going up that spiral staircase. <laughs> Hello, Maniacs. It's Midsummer Maniacs. Midsummer Maniacs is a recap podcast dedicated to the ITV series Midsummer Murders. Each week, we, Sarah and I, dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. I'm Sarah. And I'm Mark. <laughs> you already said Sarah and I. I was like, yeah, you introduce yourself too. It's okay. Yeah, yeah. Just a little warning. If your kids can't handle the show, they can't handle the podcast. Yep. And all of its light orgies. Loins. <laughs> anyway, we mentioned those things because this week we are talking about season 10, episode two, The Animal Within. It's a weird title for a uh, Midsummer episode. Yeah. And it does get mentioned in the episode, so you know yeah, where it's, what it's supposed to reference. I pointed but. at the screen like you're supposed to. Yeah. When you... Oh, there's the title. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Clever. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Before we dive in, any announcements off the top? Yes. Uh, you guys have been sending t-shirt ideas, which are fantastic. Generally, our idea for t-shirts is we're going to take ideas over the next little couple of weeks and over the months of October and November, refine those and propose some. I'll be putting out some design ideas during October and November to see what you guys like. And we should have some for sale in time for the holidays. Yes. And they'll that all that money will go to some charity. Yeah. If you have a charity idea, too, we'd love to hear that. It would be great if it was a charity already supported by the show or by John Nettles or by Jane Weimark or somebody yeah. in the show. Yeah, because we don't necessarily have any preference for a specific one, but we'd like to make a difference. Yes, we so. absolutely would. So, And when we say t-shirts, we mean like swag in general, anything that we can put something on. If you guys like it, we will, you know, tote bags, t-shirts, whatever. Tea cozy. <laughs> Midsummer Maniacs. You want a Saco Fox tea cozy? <laughs> Great. Now we're going to have people going, you have to have the tea cozy. <laughs> Maybe koozies. Maybe. Can, can koozies. Saco can, Fox can koozie. Saco Fox can koozie. That's just fun to say. It is. I like fun words like that. This episode, Animal Within, was filmed in June and July 2006. Broadcast 19th of January 2007. 6.95 million Viewers directed by Rennie Rye and written by David Hoskins. So right off the top, let's just talk about the mystery in this episode. Which I think is excellent. Why do you think it's so excellent? Well, the first easily 20 minutes of the episode, you don't know if Rex is dead or not. You don't know what's going on with the niece arriving and being supposedly dead. You, de you don't know... What's going on with these people? You don't know who to trust. And then all of a sudden, wills start popping up all over the place. I felt really bad for Faith Alexander initially because nobody is happy to see her. No one. And I mean, if I were her, I would be nervous about meeting Rex and, and being there on her own. And, you know, she must be kind of emotional. And then when she gets there, everybody is disappointed that she's not dead. 
Yeah. And, and don't hide their sneers about it either. And like at first, Miles King, who is David Trotton, who is scumbag scum. Mm-hmm. The gardener. Is like really nice to her and really like welcoming to her. And then as soon as she says she's Rex's niece, it's like a switch. Yeah. And he's on the phone to Eileen and he's on the phone to Janet and all crap's breaking loose. Yeah, I agree with you. The first 15 minutes of this episode are super intriguing. You know that Rex is odd and eccentric, but he's missing. You know that Faith is there to see him, but he's not there. But she just spoke to him the day before. Everybody thinks that she should be dead and seems disappointed and you don't know why. It's pretty easy to assume that Rex is dead. That's kind of a given because he's not there, but... They know some details about her life, like that she has two sons in college. Yeah, and and you don't know how. Yeah. So all of that, I think... I, I agree with you. It's it's a mystery not based on some kind of familiar trope where you can sort of guess what's going to happen. Like, oh, this is a jealous spouse murder thing. You know, yeah. it keeps you guessing pretty far end to the episode. So that's yeah. good. I like that. I do too. They're obviously, season 10, they're obviously playing around with uh, some different ways of doing things. Though I do have to say that there are striking familiarities between this episode and the first episode of season 10. Yes, we've dirty got, old men with cameras. We've got two stories, yes, where we have dirty old men with cameras, and we've got two stories, I think more importantly, that are centered around somebody who is a user, yes. and the impact that misuse and abuse of people who care for them, yes. and taking advantage of people. I, that Laura, in the last episode, did that to people, and now Rex does it. They're very different people, but they're both users. In the end, not to spoil anything... But in the end, Miles, Elsie, uh, Elise, and Janet have every reason to be incredibly pissed off. You mean Elaine? Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Oh, they're justifiably angry. Yeah. Yeah. Because as Amy, the lock keeper's wife, says, he's a tow rag. Yeah. <laughs> he is. <laughs> Rex is a tow rag. He's, he's not uh, so clearly a likable scamp. He's, he's a little darker than that. But we get more, like, remember in last episode when I said we never got to see Laura be charming? Mm-hmm. We get to see Rex be a little charming. Here. Yeah. And I think by the end of this episode of the podcast, you and I need to decide not only who the best corpse is and what happens after the credits, but I think we should have to come down on whether or not we like Rex and whether we're supposed to like Rex or not. Yeah. But I think we should wait till the end. Let's, yep. let's get there. Yeah. Okay? Okay. The first character in this show is Rex's house. Absolutely. It is it is full of interesting things. And it's amazing. On the outside, it's amazing. Before you even go in, it's got those round windows and half-rounded windows. There's a summer house. It's stone. It's just gorgeous. I want this house. <laughs> But yeah, it's jam-packed with weirdness. Yes. What weirdness did you notice in Rex's house? The red coat that had the lay on it. Yeah, it's like a military uniform that's got a flowered lay on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, The giant cavorting women sculpture. In his office? Yes. Yeah, in the study. And it's huge. Like, how did they even get it in there? It looks like the kind of statue that would be in the middle of a fountain. Yes. Not behind your desk. And it's between him and the window. His desk faces the window. He has to look at that constantly. Not just look at it. He's like crotch height with two life-size women. Yes. 
That tells you something about Rex. Yeah. There's some problems there. My favorite things in his house are the Carmen Miranda fruit bowl on the kitchen table. Yep. I love that thing. Yep. I tried to find it online. I can't find it. I can find Carmen Miranda cookie jars. But not a fruit bowl. That are vintage or antique. But not a fruit bowl like that. And it's so tall. Why is it so tall? And it only holds like an apple and some grapes. Like the bowl of it is not very big, but it's fantastic. I love it. I love the, um, the dodo outside the study door. That was awesome. That big dodo. Yep. And there, I don't even know how to describe it. There's a bunny helmet on the table. (laughs) In the middle of the foyer. There is an like an iron helmet on the table that looks as if it's ha- it has bunny ears. And I'm I'm asking you listeners, you look at this. It's at 1 hour 17 minutes and 29 seconds. I'll, I'll put the picture in the show notes. I took a picture of it and Jeremy's standing next to the table and we get this shot of the stuff that's on the table. And it's a bunny helmet. I don't know how else to describe it. That's what it is. Okay. So speaking of show notes, I got two comments about show notes this week. Mm-hmm. Just so you know, show notes are in the the listing on YouTube and the listing that I send out on Facebook and things like that. I always link to the page where you can get the podcast if you don't have any service. The show notes are there. Mm-hmm. If you need to find the show notes, just drop me a line. A wonderful lady on, on YouTube was like, I must see bad movie list now. <laughs> where are show notes? And what's the URL for the site where you the, put the show notes? The URL for the site, if you want to go to get anything, is midsummermaniacs.transistor.fm. We can't really say we'll put that URL in the show notes because... That, it, that's, that's where they are about the show notes. Yeah, I really started the show notes thinking no, really as notes to myself. Yeah, thinking no one would read them, but I know people read tons of them now. So midsummermaniacs.transistor.fm. Yes, transistor is the um, the service that we use that helps us just distribute the podcast to all the various services that host podcasts. Um, and they let us just kind of put a little website for the podcast there, and that's where we put the show notes. Yes. The house is zippity doo dah crazy, but it's awesome. There's so many skins. There, there are like, was he a hunter too? I don't know. There's horns and skins. There's a zebra skin. He and, also has a gigantic hookah pipe. Yeah. Uh, which is kind of expected. Yeah. He's got the little pillbox hat and he's got the fez. If you get those two things. You got to have a hookah. You got to have a hookah. He has a gorgeous Bakelite radio in yeah. his office. Yeah. It's like a caramel color. Yeah. I saw it too. Oh, and don't forget, there must be some kind of pepper grinder in that kitchen because that's what Jack Pierce recognizes in the erotic photographs of the kitchen table. Yes. <laughs> it's some kind of notorious pepper grinder. You know, I, at first, I thought it might have been a special move. <laughs> uh, you've been around, but have you ever done the pepper grinder? <laughs> oh, hey, hey. Yeah, it's an awesome house and it... It plays a part for sure. Yes. And I remember the first time I saw this episode, as soon as Miles King rounds the corner and you he's close enough to the camera that you can recognize him, I went, scumbag! Scumbag! <laughs> Brian Clapper sweatsuit. Yes. 
<laughs> Which David Troughton must just love that, you know, he's known as scumbag scum. Well, I read in the magazine, I guess him and John Nettles are like best friends. That's cool. Yeah. As they should be. He seems should, like a nice guy. He's, well, as we covered in the second episode, he's he, he does so much work and he does lots of work for charity and he does lots of work on the stage. He's a very good actor. So we immediately get this cast of characters that we know right off the bat have been helping Rex. So we've got Janet, the cleaner, Eileen, the cook, Miles, the gardener. All before that, (laughs) all of it before that is the bumper. Did you notice the bumper? The taxi driver. No. So the taxi driver appears at the beginning and at the end. Yeah, he's great. He's fantastic. I love him. Roger Bingham. He's been in a ton of things, by the way. I could have watched a a taxi driver show with him. Yeah. He's so happy. He is. Yeah. What about his bumper? No, no. Just that he's like a bumper to the episode. Oh, I thought you were saying he had a sticker on his car or something. No, 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 no. Now I'm disappointed. Sorry. I I guess I didn't miss it after all. Well, that's Rex. (laughs) (laughs) So we get the cleaner, the cook. The gardener, the doctor, the fiance, the lawyer, everybody is in the husband. So I started this episode, I've seen it lots of times, but every time I start this episode, I am immediately filled with hate of the husband. Then the husband, Faith's husband? Yes. Okay. Then the husband shows up and he's kind of nice at first. And I'm like, did I read the husband wrong? And then I'm like, oh no. No, 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 no. You're no. not misremembering him. <laughs> and you should know you don't like him because he's listening to country music in his car. He is listening to he's, it. He's rocking out. And one of the first things he says is, Alan's here. Yeah. Okay. If I was bereft and you came up to me and said, Mark's here, I would throw up a little bit in my mouth. I agree. Even though I'd be happy to see you. <laughs> so oh. Rex has... Photos of Faith and her family. Everybody knows all about them, including the fact that they all died in a fiery plane crash. Now, also at this point in time, when she calls Alan, Alan's got to know he's busted. Well, what? Because Rex is missing? Yeah. And everybody thinks she's dead? Yeah. Well. And then then he has pictures of him. Like, if Alan is a smart criminal at this point in time... He's on a plane to America with his other identity and disappearing. No, if Alan was smart, he would have gone with her. That's true. And he would have said, I, honey, I have to tell you that Rex was afraid to be in contact with you because he thought the family all hated him. So he contacted me and I've been sending him family photos I've because he trying, was so desperate to know us. I've been trying to build the bridge back. <clears throat> yeah. And not mention the money. Nobody's no. got to mention the money. No. But... He also knows when she calls him that Rex's house was broken into and that maybe he's dead or something, you know? I guess. Because he was there the night before. Oh, there is one thing. There's an extremely limited amount of photos in Rex's house for a photographer. That's where he made all his money. Oh, I disagree. And he I does, thought there were so many. I th- no, he needed more. He primarily shot in black and white. That's yes. obvious. Yes. And did you notice that the photos of the river that Faith sees and recognizes are also hanging in Jane Benbow's office. Yes, I did. I did notice that. So I think that's kind of to tell us he did some famous photos that are well-loved and a lot of people may have them or something like that. But in his study, there are some weird black and white photos hanging in front of the bookshelves. Jane Benbow is a whole other part of this (laughs) podcast. 
we'll get there. We'll yeah. get there. And so this takes place in Midsummer Deverell. Yes. Do you know what Deverell means? No. It means a riverbank in Welsh. Oh, okay. So that fits, right? Why didn't Jones say something about that? Uh, maybe because he knows everybody knows what a Deverell is, and so he doesn't have to, but I didn't, so I looked it up. I felt Jones was underused in this episode. I, he's got some key points. He does, but I, I like more Jones than we got in this episode. This episode is really busy. It's a no Cully episode. It's no a Cully. very light Joyce episode. Yeah. Medium Jones yeah, almost medium Barnaby. For the first part, you're like wondering if Joe, if Barnaby's ever going to show up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is kind of the case in episodes where the murder isn't in the cold opening. Yeah, you you kind of wonder like, well, when is the thing going to happen that's going to bring you know Barnaby and Jones in, and they've got to find his body. Of course, Barnaby knows him, which I'm like, Barnaby knows everybody in the county. Well, why wouldn't he? Especially somebody bigger than life like Rex is. He's a famous guy. Yeah. Yeah. And he would have run into him at some point. So we find out pretty early that there's this kind of weird relationship where Faith's mother kind of cut off from the family when she was little. Yeah. Because her mother's friend, Lucy, accused Rex, who is Faith's mother's brother, of assaulting her. Yeah. And so there was... In so many words... There was this. I want to talk about. He took advantage of her. Yeah. Right. So there's this big rift in the family, and yet that same Lucy, who was Faith's mother's friend, is also Mama Lucy. Yes. Who is this famous missionary? Who is Jeremy's mother? The killer. Yes. Who is played by Samuel West, Marcus's son, Marcus from Judgment Day. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. His, not his real, his real son. And um, uh, you might, uh, well, Samuel West has been in a ton of things. Well, and he's in the brand new. All uh, Creatures Great and Small. All Creatures Great and Small, the trailer dropped this week. Yeah, he plays the Boy, vet. that looks fantastically English. Yes, it does. <laughs> it looks super fun. Um, so we've got these kind of like weird historical relationships and current relationships that are all important to know about. Rex's body is found in Crofter's Weir. Yes. Which is the same place where the river photographs are taken. It's a weir with a lock, and the lock keepers are the Pierces, Amy and Jack. Who are the, okay, so there's a trope, uh, you know, there's the couple who witness wills is a trope. Yes. And sometimes they're evil people. Yes. Like in... uh, um, they're in Poirot, on it. They're in a, on it in some way. The, the Australian couple in a yeah. Poirot, right? Yeah, and and they're nice people here, but they're also that also happens in why didn't they ask Evans? Mm-hmm. The Marple story. They're either evil and they're in on some kind of plot, or they're overly innocent or stupid, and so they don't really know the implication of what they're witnessing. Or there's this third kind, which I think the Pierces are, which are, they are well-informed, they know everything that's going on, and they just happen to be kind of tangentially kind of observers. Yeah. The Pierces are not fools. No. And I I like them a lot. Did you recognize Jack Pierce? No. Um, He he seems familiar. He's Mr. Tibbs in Death of a Hollow Man. So the stage manager... Oh, yes. Her dad has Alzheimer's. Yes. That's oh, it is. the same actor. Yes. Um, his name is John Cater. 
um, who plays Jack Pierce in this episode. Okay. And John Cater, who plays Jack Pierce, is our first. That movie looks horrible. I bet Mark's seen it. Okay. So I didn't do so well last episode. Let's see if I do better this episode. Okay. Are you ready? Yes. And this is, it's great because we've got a handful of older actors in this episode. So you know they've all been in some bad movies. By the way, we totally missed the plot last week of Billy the Kid and... Versus the Bayes Green Vampire? Yes. We forgot to mention... That it's a musical? That it's a musical. (laughs) That it has... uh, Alum Armstrong in yes. it, and it has the guy from Quadrophenia. Like, there were so many really important oh, things about that movie that we completely- We tried to watch it this week, and I couldn't get past the oh, first few minutes. Wow. It was so it was bad. really bad. <laughs> I could not- I, I showed it to Sarah. I'm like, it's a musical. And she's like, no. And then he starts to say- They're like, oh, boy. Yeah. All right, so John Cater is in this movie. It, this is a 1974 movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a Hammer film. Okay. I'm giving you all kinds of hints here. Okay. Um, here's the plot. A master swordsman and former soldier and his hunchbacked assistant hunt vampires. Captain Kronos. Yes. <laughs> Good job. That's on uh, Netflix right now, I think. It's on Amazon Prime for free, too. Oh, it's so good. Captain Cronus is fantastic. John Cater plays Dr. Grost, who is the sidekick of the vampire hunter. He's a hunchback doctor. Yep. The vampire hunter is played by Horst Johnson. Johnson. Yes. He has this ginormous collar. Yes. It's fantastic. <laughs> Captain Kronos is fantastic. Oh, man, I didn't get a point there. Oh, man. <laughs> man. Okay, so the body's in the lock, or it's in the weir. Yep. The giant statue's in the study. Faith is in all the pictures in the study. Did you look very closely at them? They they were, like, really staged and had all of them in it. I kept going, who's taking this picture? So we're, we're supposed to think that over a 10-year period... Alan has been sending, I guess, vacation photos, yes. right? So if you go on vacation as a family, you ask the waiter, you ask somebody to take a photo of you and the kids yeah. at the place, right? And the boys do look as if they have aged a little bit. They're but not, the other two have not. Faith is in the same outfit <laughs> in all four pictures. Oh, that's a mistake. And one of them looks like they're in Jaws. Yes, I saw that one. <laughs> like they're posing in front of this giant great white shark. And and maybe there's, you know, I don't know if you if you go to the shore, maybe there's a place where they've got a fake shark in like America, that. they have sharks. Sharks. But it's like, she's got the same damn shirt on in all four pictures. Okay. That must so, be her vacation top. So let's talk about this. <laughs> This is a thing that we've noticed. The woman who is playing, what's her name? Faith Alexander. Faith Alexander. She was born in New York. She was born she in She actually New- is an American. Okay. Because she sounds like a British person pretending to be American. She, is, she was raised in America. I think she lives in England now. Most of her film and TV credits are in England, but she has an American accent. And the guy who was, plays her husband is the same way. William Hope is his name. And he was born in Canada. Oh, okay. And I c- could not tell when he moved to England, but before college. Okay. So he has an accent that is light British. Yeah. Normally. 
You might recognize him because he plays Lieutenant Gorman in Aliens. That's right. Yes. Because I watched that this week. I, I watched, know. I couldn't I believe you didn't the go. Alien movies. Lieutenant Gorman. <laughs> He's like one of the main characters. He's one of the longest living soldiers in Aliens. Yes. Next to Bill Hicks, you know, yeah. who survives all the way to the end. But but yeah, but the, the, there is this kind of, you know, Faith Alexander is is American, but she's kind of sophisticated American. And Alan, her husband, is the skeezy American. Yes. He listens to country music. He wears big sunglasses. He's here. He's larger than life. Yeah. And he's a wheeler dealer. Yep. You know, Um but yeah. And he thinks he's more right off the bat. He lies. Barnaby says, we know everything. And he lies to Barnaby and Barnaby's like, yeah, that's not true. <laughs> I think the impression we're supposed to get is he thinks he's smarter. Yeah. Smart. Than the cops. He thinks he's smarter. than the So cops. he's just going to swindle them. Like yeah. he swindles everybody else. And it's really not going to be Can't any big do deal. That to my Barnaby. But when they're interrogating him in the world's biggest interrogation room, Echo, echo, echo. Where he has room to pace in multiple directions. <laughs> he realizes they're on to him. Yeah. Rex does a good job being a corpse. He does. Except his eyes move around. He's not my choice of corpse. No. But he was killed with a tubular object. Tubular object. It was tubular. It's like totally tubular. It's not cylindrical. It's, it's tubular. Tubular object. Like George. Why would you say it was tubular? Okay. Like even a pipe is cylindrical. Yeah. So now we get to my main problem with the episode that you don't think is a problem, but I do. Which is the identification of Rex. The room they're in. The chapel. Okay. So first of all, it's not explained to be the chapel. It says it on the door. After they leave. At first, I'm like, are they in a hospital or in... A chapel, because there's stained glass windows. One. Two. It's in the coroner's office, and it is the body viewing room. They call it a chapel. Uh, I don't like it. We've seen it before. And then it says mortuary personnel only. Right. And the mortuary is what they call the coroner's office. Okay. They call it the mor- the bodies go to the mortuary. We think that of that as a funeral home, but in the UK, that's... No different than the coroners. But behind them is an awesome sign. Did you see the awesome sign? No. It's 18 for a reason. Oh, yes. <laughs> Buying alcohol for teenagers is illegal. Stop fueling underage drinking. <laughs> <laughs> it's 18 for a reason. We're not going to mention what the reason is. Nope. Suzanne? Suzanne. Yeah. Oh, George. George. makes reference to Suzanne, <laughs> yeah. who has no line and does not appear in the credits. That's it's his Suzanne. way of telling Tom that he's done talking to him. Yep. I'm going to start talking to somebody else. Um, Suzanne. Hey, you. <laughs> I got something important for you. So now the will show up. Well, I think Eileen, I do like when Eileen comes to the lawyer's office. She does some good acting there. Eileen, played by Linda Bassett. I think, is the best actor in this episode. I'll give you actor. She is the worst human being. See, I don't think so. I do. I don't think so. I think her, if you watch her face, she she's so brilliant. Not only is Bassett brilliant in playing the character, but the Eileen is torn. On one hand, she thinks she deserves the money. 
legitimately deserves the money and is happy about it, but doesn't want to be too happy about it because she does, she should be sad, but he was more than 80 years old and he's dead and he was kind of a shit. And so her mouth struggles with happy, I'm going to get the money, but, but not too happy. No, not too happy. And I understand that. (laughs) And the way she reacts to her husband, I'm glad she went after him with a knife. No, I think her husband, like, when she's she, been unreasonable, I think it's because her of, of her time of life. Well, okay, that leads me back to the bad writing about women in this episode. I don't think it's bad writing about women. I think it's absolutely realistic that that's how men treat women. But okay, when they're in the kitchen, and you disagree she's with up, me. It must be okay, your hormones. Hold on. When they're in the kitchen and she show she's upset, mm-hmm. he opens up to her. And said and offers help, and she completely rebukes him. I got the feeling she's an abusive spouse to him. Oh no, that's not yeah. that's not the view I got at all. I thought the doctor was like the nicest guy in the world trying to help her without the hormone time of life comments. Those are horrible. But a little too late, don't you think? She gave up her career for him. She works in his office. So everything is about him all the time. No, but and she's upset once, and he's supposed to just make it better by being human for a minute. I think it's the exact opposite. She's at work, and he's like, "What's wrong?" And she's like, "Oh, I'm just going to go and take care of it." Like she, and she just takes off, leaving him alone. Like I think she is abusive to him. We'll have to see what other people think. Yeah. I, I'm not saying that she's like Nobel Prize winning peace person, but I don't think that she's a bad person. I think that her husband has tried over and over and over again to engage her and she has shut him out. That's what I got out of it. <laughs> and Rex is just one more man pulling on her and making demands of her. Yeah. One more person she has to take care of. Oh, I understand that, but... I I got the vibe that she was nasty to her husband. Oh, okay. But she does some powerful acting in the solicitor's office. So let's talk she about the, the solicitor. Will. She has red accessories in her office. She does. Did you notice? Yes. Yes. Somebody made quite the concerted effort to accessorize her office yes. with red things. Yes. <laughs> And she's got legs. So I completely <laughs> forgot that Janet mentioned that Rex might have left her money because she had great legs. So when she comes around her table and everybody looks down and up, I rewound it. I'm like, wait a minute. Did I miss like, is there something on Jones's shoes? Are his shoes dirty or something? See, like, oh, no, they're looking at her legs. Again, I don't like that writing. I don't think Barnaby would do that. And if he did, he would catch Jones doing it. I don't know. They've just talked about it. And they've just met her for the first time. It feels a bit bump. It does, but it doesn't feel mean. It doesn't uh, feel rude. I, I didn't like how the way both Barnaby and Jones treated women in this episode. Hmm. I, I didn't see that. It's interesting. You would think that it would bother me more. You would think. And I didn't see it. No. So she has the pictures on her wall, too. Yes. So we immediately know he's not just a client. No. They have some kind of relationship, at least I a little immediately bit. went, oh, yeah, there's other pictures. <laughs> <laughs> and we get Eileen coming in with a will. Then we get Janet coming in with a will. 
And then we know later that Miles has a will. Yeah. And it's clear that Rex has been yanking everybody's chain. He's a user. And yet, at the end, there's so much money that Janet and Faith can just go travel around the world on it. Yeah, I don't know how much money a society photographer makes, but apparently Rex cleaned up. So was he actually broke, or was he a tight ass who got liked to get things for free from oh, people? I think he was a tight ass, because he was given a quarter of a million dollars to um, Alan. Yeah. Like, that's real money right? that he sent to but is that depleting his funds or is he wealthy enough that he could afford to do it? I, I don't think Rex would ever do anything that he couldn't afford to do. So he just enjoys getting things for free, manipulating people. I think that that's more fun than paying for it. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Did face mask Joyce just flush the toilet? Did she? <laughs> she flushes the... T- you can clearly hear. And she leaves the bathroom. What's wrong with that? That is more Barnabies than we've <laughs> ever had. It's the first time there's even inadvertent third-hand acknowledgement that Joyce uses the toilet. Yeah. <laughs> and that's too much for you, huh? <laughs> so Joyce has a face mask on. Mm-hmm. I don't know why Joyce is even in this episode. (laughs) Other than to flush the toilet. He can call her pretty lady. Yes. And she can say, I've got some information because I was in the book club. Yes. And I read that book. It was a racy crowd. Yeah. She's she's there to tell us that that book is not just a simple, my mom was a saint, but that there's more to it. So the other thing I thought about the lawyer, because my mind is warped by this television show. You heard her last name went, huh? Benbow? Is Jane Benbow the lost daughter of Benbow from The Maid in Splendor? Would she be his daughter or his granddaughter? He, she could be either. Yeah, she yeah. could. And then I had this whole image in my head of Benbow going to, you know, in front of a magistrate for trespassing or public intoxication or uh, pouching or something like that. And then... Her coming in and saving the day. He oh, gets dinner. kicked out of the snug and into court. Yep. And there she is. Yep. Grandpa! <laughs> Little Benbo in his sock hat is yep. right there. And his you tube. shouldn't have posed for those pictures, though. <laughs> is he Sean Connery now? <laughs> I guess so. Benbo Connery. Yeah. <laughs> She posed for those pictures because they were for her husband. I thought they were kind of fun. Now, professionally, they're not very smart, but I thought they were kind of fun. They were they were boudoir pictures. They were kind of fun. But they weren't porn or anything. No, but like, okay, she appears clothed in all of them. Mm-hmm. She's not unclothed. No. But it's implied that there are unclothed pictures. Not pornographic pictures. But she says there aren't any that are any more risque than that. Yeah, but Barnaby doesn't believe her. Well, of course he doesn't. <laughs> which all leads Jones to say the best line of the episode, which says he thinks all the trouble is loin instigated. Yes. All things are loin instigated. <laughs> Not instigrated. Instigated. <laughs> loin integrated. And we get back to Jeremy talking about his mom and the Pierce is talking about his mom, Mama Lucy. 
And she's up for beatification. Yes. Well, he's making the case for that. Yes. How does that work in the Anglican I immediately church? went, what? Anglicans have saints? Do they? And there's going to be a gazillion people out there who know way more about this than I do. Okay. But my understanding. Now, I was raised in the Anglican church. Right. And St. James is where I went to church. Right. Because when the church went through, not only when when the Church of England split from the Roman Catholic Church to Mm -hmm. become its own church, but when it went through its reforms, it kept many of the Catholic saints as saints for the Anglican church. Like yeah. it didn't just ditch everything, right? Yeah. But as near as I could tell, since then, there there have been people who have been given sainthood, but it's been a very long time. And in the Anglican church, they're supposed to be called heroes and heroines. Oh. Not saint. But I've never heard that. I've never I've heard never anybody heard say that. hero Thomas. I've it's never always heard saint of that. Whatever. Yeah, I've never heard that. Um, but I've also never heard any reference to any of the more recent people who have been beatified in the Anglican Church that weren't original saints in the Catholic Church. Yeah. So I don't know. But maybe somebody can tell us. Maybe. Because, like, to be beatified in the Catholic Church, there's a whole process. Yeah. Like, there's hoops that you have to jump through. You have to prove they perform miracles. Yeah, you have to prove they perform miracles. Has Mother Teresa been made a saint? I remember a discussion about it, but I don't know if it ever went through. I don't know if it's gone through. But it's certainly not an easy hoop. Obviously, this missionary, Mama Lucy, is related to that notion of the maternal woman who goes to an incredibly poor area and helps people. In this case, it's Africa. But she's not a nun. No, she's not a nun. She has a child. Well, I think when we get to Jeremy and motive, I think a couple of things. Yeah. I have a couple of thoughts on this. What did you think of the Mama Lucy Museum? I thought it was filled with racist artifacts. I thought it was filled with African artifacts. Well, okay. African artifacts. And very little Mama Lucy. There was very little Mama Lucy. It was more like she went to Africa and brought some stuff back. I also thought he could have made a better pamphlet. Her face on the front of that pamphlet is terrifying. I don't know what Photoshop filter they used, but it was like the scary one. Uh, because like he went down to the co- to the post office and copied a few things on the ten cent copier. <laughs> yes, so he can hand them to the pensioners when they come on the bus. Yeah, but he has a book out. Like uh, it felt it felt like a like a tacked on thing and a cheap thing. Yeah, because if. If there's enough story there for him to have written a book that is big enough that he has an agent who invites him to London parties, I would think there would be more in that museum than some African artifacts. In addition, it's a pretty slipshod museum where if you have a bunch of pensioners show up, you can slip off, put on an apron with a naked lady on it, kill two people and come back. <laughs> While they're looking around. While they're looking around. Well, pensioners are kind of slow. I guess. They're shuffling around the museum. Half of them are trying to go up that spiral staircase and not making it. Why you know? do they have a spiral staircase <laughs> where pensioners come? <laughs> All I saw was that old lady getting out of the back of the bus in the wheelchair. I was like, she's not going up that spiral staircase. <laughs> so let's talk about this scene with Richard and Eileen. Okay. Where she's upset and cutting potatoes. Yes. First of all, 
She stabs the hell out of some sausages. Stabby, stabby. She might be angry at some men. I'm just saying. She's got a two-pronged fork, and she's going to town on those sausages. Then she can slice potatoes and not even look at them. Yeah. She she, practically turns around, and her arm is still going, chop, 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 chop. Yeah. She does a good job, though. She cuts one side so they're flat, flips them over, cuts them the right way, slices them thin. She's doing it right. But the cookbook she's working from is from, like, 1968. Yeah. Did you notice that? I did. And and the... And she, like, she yells at the doctor for moving the cookbook. She's using it. And he comes in to straighten up behind her while she's cooking using the cookbook. Do you know what a tow rag is? Amy, Amy says uh, Rex is a tow rag. It's, it can't be good. So back when men wore stockings. Yes. If you were a poor man who couldn't afford stockings, you would wrap cloth around your feet before you put them in your shoes. And you can imagine that those were not sweet smelling. No. Pieces of cloth. That's what a tow rag is. Now you know. Now I know. Miles King's house is weird. His living room made me look up the average height of tutors. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Miles King is weird in a couple of reasons, right? What's he going to do with that cabbage, first of all? (laughs) (laughs) And does he wear the apron? Now, is it a man or a woman naked on the It's a lady. It's a lady. So he dresses up with a lady apron. I think it's funny that he has that apron. I think it's funny, too. I think it's strange he leaves the radio on in his car while he carries in groceries. Just walking around. But before that, when they go visit him in his place, he's on his way to the lawyers. Yes. Because he thinks he's got the will, will. right? And. Of course, he starts drinking because that's all he does is there's a bottle of booze in every room that he's in. Yeah. He has to walk up like four steps to get to his living room. Yes. And did you notice how he has to duck to get out? Well, he's a tall man. You wouldn't have to be tall to whack your head on that door frame. The stairs are in the door. Yeah. It is a strange... It just makes you think, okay, this is an older house that somebody's futzed with and tacked onto in kind of haphazard ways. And so now we've got a living room that's three sto- three steps up because there's probably a kitchen underneath it, you know. But I a, also looked at floor. that house and was like, this is another million dollar house. Like if he sells. Oh, it's a, a Tudor cottage. Yeah. If he sells his house, he's going to be okay. Yeah. With like split wood timbers and everything. So if this is a Tudor cottage, if I'm right about the age of that, how tall because you see Jeremy do it too. Jeremy is always ducking under door frames in this episode. Mm-hmm. And you see it a lot in the, any episode where somebody lives in a cottage, a quote cottage. Yes. You see a lot of low doors and ceilings. Yes. They're mostly Tudor era. How tall do you think the average man was in the Tudor era, era Five, which eight. is like the 14 and 1500s? 5'8. Five, 5'6. Five, oh, he was short. Yes. So probably. Those doorways are maybe like five, ten. So if you're, I would have to duck. You would have to duck. But I wouldn't. No. But I couldn't jump up and down in the doorway. No. They should all just have bumpers on them. You know, when you have toddlers, you put bumpers on everything that's sharp that they could bump their head Tudor on. Tudor bumpers. <laughs> you should put Tudor bumpers at the top of all the doors. I'm still. I. I still am amazed at how many doors British houses have inside them. With all the handles way up. They all have two doors at the front. Yeah. You come in the front door and then you come in the other front door. Yeah. Which I assume is to keep cold air out. But yet they, they always keep them open. Hanging open. 
to yeah. the outside. But then in, even between the common living areas of a house, there are doors and they're always opening and closing them. Maybe it's because they have radiators. Maybe. So they're only heating one room or two rooms. Or I something. guess. I don't know. I'll stop going off about it. Where are we going to go for dessert in midsummer? I'm not going to Eileen's. No. Where I'm not going to have her pavlova. Where are we going for dessert in midsummer? Midsummer ice cream. Midsummer ice cream. <laughs> Which is right next to Miles' house, I think. Uh, yeah. And why can't I have that sign? <laughs> also, school lane leading to long half acre is in the background. There, oh, too. okay. Yeah. You haven't said a whole lot about signage in this episode. It's not a lot of huge amount of signage. Did you notice the woman mowing the lawn in the background of that scene? I noticed the cat. Okay. There was a little black and white cat. There's a little black and white standing cat. Standing over to the side going like, can I, can, can I, no, can, oh, never mind. It just sits down. <laughs> it wants Tom to notice it, but it just sits down. The woman in the background is mowing the lawn. First of all, no audio guy in the world is going to allow you to have a mowing lawn. So I was like, it immediately attracted my attention. I noticed She's not actually mowing the lawn. No. The lawnmower is not on. She's just shoving it around. She's just shoving it around. <laughs> but yeah, it makes sense. Yeah. When they find Eileen and Miles dead. Okay. This is what I have. The heading is the errant cabbage. <laughs> the next head the next bullet is Eileen's feet. Yes. They both still have knives in them. Yes. And then stabby stabby. <laughs> And this is the first double murder since the rain burst. I think so. I think we, we've talked about it before the Somebody show. Somebody else may remember another one. But I think, in, in my memory anyway, this is the first time since the rain burst that two people have been killed at the same time or in no, short succession. Last week's episode. She kills the kid in the car and then kills the girl. Uh, yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, you're right. I don't like that one very much. Yeah, I know. So I don't want to count it. No. <laughs> but well, man, Jeremy's there. He's waiting for Miles. Puts on the apron. Doesn't want to get dirty. No. Right? Dirty. Too bad Miles has that kinky apron. And I'll talk about motive when we get there at the end. Has his gloves on because yeah. he's a smart criminal. Yes. Takes the knife out of the knife block because he's stabby. smart. He doesn't bring his own weapon and nope. doesn't take it with him. Nope. Stabby, stabby Miles. Yep. Then Eileen's like, do de do what's going on? Stabby, stabby her. She yep. gets stabbed, and the knife is still in her back. Yeah. The cabbage is practically still rolling down the hallway. Errant cabbage. George is like, these are recent. Yeah. <laughs> like, we just saw it. <laughs> They're still warm and toasty. Well, two more suspects we don't have to worry about. That's, see, I love that Jones line. That's a great line. Yeah. So yeah. what they've found are some photos. Yes. And they realize that these... Cleverly hidden in a drawer in the study. Right behind the desk. Basically, yeah. So what they've... There's two sets of photographs. The, the easy set to talk about is the lawyer in her little I'm a lawyer getup. I'm naughty, I'm a lawyer. Yes, her little naughty lawyer getup, which is all good. Well, he has no studio in the house. We're skipping over that. There's one where she's got the, um, the red ribbon in her teeth. The pink ribbon in her teeth. But that's like, there's a backdrop and everything that there's nowhere in the house that that was taken. By the way, Midsummer, hear me, Midsummer writers. I'm really sick of this bullshit of solicitors acting like they can't share with the police what somebody's will says after they're dead. 
Like instantly they can. There is absolutely no reason why they can't. Yeah. There's no confidentiality at that point in time. It doesn't matter. It's a public document. And they're dead. Yes. This, this, you naughty policeman asking me what the will says. It's just bullshit. They can tell them. Yeah. It's just an opportunity for them to play coy. I don't get it. Well. I don't like it. Stop doing it. Anyway, how many other, how many killers would be stopped by cell phones? That they don't <laughs> use, right? The other set of photographs, like they could have phoned Miles, but no, they had to go to his house. They weren't going to his house. They passed by and noticed that the car radio was on no, and the door was they, open. They wanted to talk to Miles again. Wow, it got their attention. Yes. Anyway, the other set of the photographs. other set of photographs is the light orgy. Yes. Okay, so it's in the kitchen. I'm I'm going to challenge the idea of light at this point in time. There are four people, two of which may be the Pierces. No. We only know the identity of two of them. There's a mystery man, right? There's Lucy, Miles, another man, and Rex behind the camera. No, there's two women. There is? Yeah, I think there's two couples in one picture. I thought there was just Lucy. I didn't really want to pause and stare at these pictures, you know. Well, they even, the Pierces make the joke show. She goes, Jack, is that your bottom in that picture? And he says, no. That's the greatest joke of the episode. (laughs) (laughs) We know it's Miles and Mama Lucy. Right. Okay. So at this point in time, we're out of suspects. Mm. Because Janet Janet and Jeremy, the Jays, have an alibi for each other. Yep. And Eileen's dead. Yep. Faith wasn't even in town yet. No. And Faith's husband was in, wasn't in town either. And Miles is dead. Yeah. So who else could it be? Yeah. So they do the fake arrest with Janet, mm-hmm. which is just to get Jeremy to say no, no, and to reveal that, of course, he killed them. So what do you think Jeremy's motive is? He wants to know what that bunny helmet is, and it's pushing yes. him over the edge. <laughs> um. He can't handle that his mom had sex, See, so he's got to take it out on somebody. This is what I think happened, okay? I think that Rex and uh, Miles, they're all drinking, they're all talking, they're all goofing it up back in the day. Some clothes got taken off, some pictures got taken, some orgy happened. I think Mama Lucy feels guilt at this point the next day. Mm-hmm. I don't think she's coerced into that. No, and Rex says as much. The yeah. next morning, she regretted it. So she then spends the rest of her life telling Jeremy about how wicked people are, mm-hmm. which is actually her own guilt talking. So I and think, even shapes her life around becoming sort of saintly I to wash that off. Fills Jeremy's mind with this horribleness, which is why Jeremy has no problem killing people. Because he looks down on everybody. Oh, they're vermin. They're not really people. When he's close to getting her beatified, and this is a possibility coming out, it disrupts his world enough that he kills people. But that's sort of all So you think it's all Lucy's fault? I think that Lucy filled his head with crap. Mm. She's certainly something more than just a human to him. I mean, everybody kind of elevates their mom, but... She shaped her life around getting rid of that guilt. The way he talks about other people, the way Jeremy talks about the vermin, and he, ta- he says something about Eileen and 
that they were they were no contribution to humanity or something, something like that. Yeah, that is not inherent. It's taught. Yeah, that, so that they're less than important people. Yeah, yeah. Maybe the other woman in the pictures was Eileen. I don't, no, I don't. I don't think there was another woman. Hmm. I'll have to look. <laughs> You'll have to. Yeah. You'll have to go back and slowly review those scenes of the black and white naked photos. I only it. ever saw one nipple and one woman's face. There's so. one nipple. I know that. And you'd think there'd be four if there were you two. I'll, I'll have a look. <laughs> I'll take one for the team and go back and look. I look at airplane crashes and you look at, at porn photos. I see how it is. Here's another horrible movie, Bet Mark's seen it. Okay. This time starring Lisa Eichhorn, who plays Faith Alexander. Okay. Okay. This is a 1986 movie. 86. Co-starring Tom Skerritt. Okay. The commander of an Air Force camp simulates prisoner of war conditions for realistic training that goes too far, creating an all too real torture situation. He preys on the only woman in the experiment. No. I don't know what this Opposing is. Opposing force. Opposing. It's got Tom Skerritt in it's it. It's got Tom Skerritt in yeah. it. Yeah. No. No? Never seen that movie. You think that Eileen's husband is so put upon. I understand that. Yeah. Um, uh, his, uh, the character's name is Richard Karnak. He's the village doctor, right? Yes. He's played by Malcolm Stoddard, and he is in a horrible movie that I bet you've seen. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? So we're one for one right now. Okay. If you put these in order. Yeah. Well, yeah. All right. So he's in a horrible movie that I bet you've seen. This is a 1980 film. Okay. So well within your wheelhouse. Yep. This movie also stars Angela Pleasance, who plays Doris Wynn Stanley in Death of a Hollow Man. Who is Donald Pleasance? daughter yeah she's the the director of the the theater director's loony wife yeah who wears the fascinator hat she's also in this okay okay an english family of six takes in a pregnant woman who disappears shortly after giving birth they raise the baby girl as their own but over the years the strange deaths of their own children make them consider whether the little girl is more than she appears okay is the title of this movie in any way related to either The Changeling or Cuckoos? No, but I can see why you would think that. It's called The Godsend. It seems familiar, but I don't think I've and seen it. And it's funny that you mentioned The Cuckoos because um, much like in, um, what's it called? The Midwich Cuckoos. The Midwich Cuckoos, which the movie is... The Village of the Damned. The Village of the Damned, yeah. The little kids are really toe-headed, really blonde. yeah. Um, this little girl is very, very blonde. Uh, Angela Pleasance is the one who shows up and gives birth to the baby and then oh, disappears. No, I've seen this. I've seen this. And yeah. she's an evil girl. Yeah, I've seen this. She kills their kids. Yeah, she kills their kids. I've seen this. And it's called the godsend because the mom holds her and she's like, oh, she's just a godsend. Yeah. No, she's Damien. She's Damien. In girl form. Yeah. So you've seen it. Yeah. Uh, man, I have to tell you, it was hard to choose. With him? In this whole episode, oh, okay. there are so many people who have been in so many horrifically bad movies. It was hard to choose. Like for the um, uh, the John Cater movie, which was the Captain Cronus vampire hunter, I also could have chosen the abominable Dr. Fibes and Dr. Fibes Rises Again. Which are Vincent Price movies. Yes, he's, he's in both of those. Those movies <clears throat> I saw very, very young, like... Three, four. I remember seeing them, I think, at the farm. We moved to the other house when I was five. I remember 
having nightmares about the Dr. Fibes movies when well, I was John very Cater, young. who plays Jack Pierce in this episode, yeah. plays the police superintendent in both of those. All right. You ready for the last one? Okay. All right. So now we're talking about Rex. Yeah. Uh, Richard Johnson is his name. He's also James Fitzroy in Death of a Stranger. He plays yeah. the up, uppity head of the fox hunt yes. in Death of a Stranger. That's yes. where you've seen him before. He's in a 1979 movie. Okay. A mad scientist on a typical deserted island is turning convicts into an army of scary fishmen, which he uses to explore the lost city of Atlantis to find treasure. Wow. <laughs> Why have I not seen this movie? Like, reading that synopsis, I would have seen that movie. It's called Screamers. No. And the fishmen are fantastic. Oh, well, I'll put a f <laughs> picture of the fishmen in, in the They show make the now. creature of the Black Lagoon look really fancy. Oh, awesome. <laughs> but he's also, Richard Johnson was also in What Waits Below, which is about a group of people who go to visit um, a radio installation in Argentina and find an unknown tribe of albino um, cannibals. Again, I should have seen that movie. And a movie called Zombie from 1979 about an epidemic on an island that turns everybody into zombies. Yeah, I saw that. Um, Beyond the Door, which is a 1974 movie about a devil baby. No. And a 1966 movie called The Witch, where he plays a researcher who goes to um, a, a castle to study ancient erotic literature and finds out that the castle is evil. That may be a Hammer movie. I think I've seen that. <laughs> or you've seen a movie based on the same plot. Yeah. We've got a theme of evil babies and islands full of not quite humans. Yeah. Yeah. But you can see why I had trouble. Yeah. Choosing the movies for this week. Because Absolutely. there were so many good ones to choose from. But Captain Kronos, I think, is Cronus is probably my, my pick. For the movie, I would probably actually I've, watch. I've definitely seen Captain Kronos. I think I've seen Captain Kronos within the last six months. So what do you do when a policeman confronts you about being a killer? How do you react? Well, first of all, when he... Uh, Mark, I know you did it. I know you did it. Yeah, I did it. No, you turn your back and inspect a lampshade. <laughs> this fringe is very important. I'm going to look at it very closely. Tassels, tassels. This will get me out of it. Yep. They'll, they won't notice me if I'm messing with this lampshade. He like totally is like, I'm going to think so. If I turn my back to you, you can't see me because I can't see you. I can't see you. <laughs> I've disappeared. This. Ah, okay. So I struggled the whole episode. Do I like Rex? Don't I like Rex? He's a scamp. Uh, he's a con artist. He's cheap. But he's eccentric. I couldn't decide. The, the reenactment, the blue scene. Yes. Where Jeremy and Rex are talking and Jeremy kills him almost pushed me fully into the not liking Rex camp. Okay. Because he's kind of purposefully gross. He is. He's talking to Lucy's son. Yes. Her son. She's dead. Yes. And this is her son. And now you can hear our dog snoring. It's a bonus for this episode. <laughs> bonus dog snoring. And he you. says stuff like sensual potential. And I release the animal within her. 
Okay, that's gross when somebody's talking about your mom anyway. Okay. But he's like rubbing his face in it. I never want to judge a character's value or character on them being sex positive. Right. I never want to do that. Nope. I don't think that's what he's doing. If you're sex positive, go crazy. He doesn't say, look, Jeremy, I know you don't want to think that your mom was ever a sexual being, but she was. And that's okay. That would be a very different conversation. That's a different conversation. I don't like Rex. I'm clearly in the not liking Rex camp. Really? Yes. You're full on to that end. I have no doubt that Rex took pictures of women who shouldn't have been taking pictures of. Hmm. I absolutely have no doubt that he used coercion tactics of drugs and alcohol to get girls to take pictures that they maybe weren't happy with. So in the scene where Janet and Faith are talking about Rex giving Janet underwear. Yes. And they laugh about it. You don't see any humor in that. No, I don't like that scene at all. I, he is a position of power with her. And though she may like the attention, he is sexually harassing her by what he says. Oh, that's interesting. I would think that if she looked at all scared or intimidated, but she doesn't. I, she I, looks like he's being naughty and she thinks it's fun. Because he's the employer and she's the employee. It doesn't matter how doesn't, she reacts. Doesn't matter. Well, and you know, if it was real life, I would agree with you completely. But Well, okay, yeah. It, this is not real life. Yeah. And he is he's a complex character in the sense that he is a lovable scamp who also coerces people to do things. Hmm. You know? The fact that he lies to people and promises them his money. The fact that he signed multiple wills is a big strike for me. He went into legal document territory. Or did he legitimately think each time he was doing it, he was leaving his money to the right person? Because Miles practically coerces him. Like, you owe me your estate. Because look at what I've done. So when you're dead, it should be mine. But, like, what I don't understand is he's so easy to give up Alan money. Yeah. Because I think he legitimately cares about his family. He legitimately cares about Faith. Then why wouldn't he legitimately care about Miles? Like, him and Miles obviously had a long history. It would have been. And Miles early on could have easily said, not only did I fix your garden, but I know all your secrets. Yeah. Well, he could have said that to Miles too. You better keep doing my garden or I'm going to publish those photos. Yeah. It would have been very interesting had Rex not been dead when Faith got there and we could have seen them together. Yeah. To see how he treated her as a member of his family and whether he was sincere with her rather because he's got nothing to get out of her. Right. He can't manipulate her into giving him money or whatever. I also don't like that. He didn't give the wills to the lawyer. Is it that he didn't give them to the lawyer or that the people who he signed them in benefit of didn't give them to the lawyer? Because each of them has their own copy hmm. and they've kept it. I don't know. They he's, could have handed them over. He's a complex guy, but I don't like him. So you're full out saying he's a bad guy. I'm saying he's more bad than good. Oh, okay. I can't not agree with that. <laughs> I don't think we're supposed to feel too sympathetic to him. I almost wish they'd made him just a little bit more likable. Yeah. Just a little. Just enough that you would think, had he lived, that 
he and Faith could have had a good relationship. Yeah. And I think the flashback of him telling her to never let the fear win was supposed to be that. Yeah. That that was supposed to be inspiring to her and make her change and not want to be with Alan, who's a con man and who's manipulating her. And that Rex is the one who told her, you know, never to live that kind of life, that she could do more than that. And so he's still inspiring her to live a better life. I think that's supposed to redeem him a little bit, maybe, but it doesn't make him less complex. No. Faith has come from London where she flew in with her husband. Yes. She's come to Midsummer Deverell to see Rex and she's only brought a backpack. Just a backpack. And she leaves from Midsummer Deverell with Janet with only her backpack. Yep. Janet has two bags. Two bags. But she's not going back to the Burnham and Piccadilly to get her other stuff. They're nope. off. They're going to Heathrow. Yep. So she's going to live her life now with just what's in her backpack. Well, they got lots of money, supposedly. Because that's how probate works. You instantaneously just get cash. I guess so. And you also, this is, this is the olden days where you used to go to the airport and just be like, can I get a ticket to Morocco? Yeah. And they're like, oh, sure. Give me a flight going west, leaving in the next hour. Yeah. I don't care where I'm going. <laughs> Because we're going to go meet guys. Meet guys. We'll be out meeting guys. Generally living the high life. How do you specifically live the high life? (laughs) I really, really, really love that Barnaby and Jones just leave Alan there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love that. They just ditch him. They just take off. (laughs) I imagine him like... Well, I guess I'll live in the summer house now, you know, and like when, when Janet and Faith come back from their trip around the world, he's going to be like the hermit and living in the garden because he could never leave. The, t- the taxi driver <laughs> asked how her visit was and she goes eventful. Three people died. Yeah. <laughs> but she's, she supposedly has this makeover. She goes from a t-shirt and jeans To a dress. To an ankle-length summer dress. Whoa. But we don't know what's on underneath. She takes her ponytail down. (laughs) She's like a new woman. And Barnaby and Jones look her up and down like she's a piece of meat. I don't like that. See, I don't think that's what they're doing. I think they're looking at her saying, you look like a different person and that's a good thing. You're changing your life and that's good because you should. I don't know. You think badly of men. Well, okay. Hello, my name's Mark. (laughs) I told you long ago, I don't really like men. All right. You ready for best corpse? Yep. Nice corpse. I know there were only three murders, but there are four bodies. Okay. There are Rex. Mm -hmm. And there's... Eileen, mm-hmm. and there's Miles, mm-hmm. was the fourth body. Rex's body in the river. Because that's clearly not Rex. No, it's an incredible stuntman. It is? Face down in the water, going over the weir and everything. Yeah. It's not a dummy. Nope. It's a man. It's a man. And he does an awesome job of looking dead. I almost want to consider him like a, 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 a fourth body. Like yeah. he could be in the running. No, I think it's Stuntman Miles. as Rex. Miles with the knife in him. Hmm. The knife looks better than the knife in her. Well, he has the advantage of having been stabbed in the chest. 
yes. rather than in the back. Yes. So you get to see his knife and his face at the same time. Luckily, neither of the <laughs> neither of the knives wobble. That's true. <laughs> and that's a tough one because if you're breathing even a little bit, something like that is going to extend that movement, right? That knife is going to wobble, or at least go up and down enough that you can see it. Yeah. When you wouldn't no. see it in their chest. So you, you're saying Miles' is best corpse? Yeah. I'm saying Rex in the River is best corpse. Okay. Because I'm impressed with that guy. He did a lot. Yes. Yes, he did. All right. After the credits. Okay. Richard is without Eileen. Okay. First of all, let's deal with Alan. <laughs> okay. I like the hermit idea. I think Alan's going to live in the woods now. <laughs> how, is her, how is Alan going to get back to the United States? Well, assuming he has a wallet, he can call a cab and get a ride and get the train back to London and get his stuff at the hotel. Do you not think she's cleaned out every one of their accounts? No. Oh, I she's think got she She's got Janet's money. Oh, I guess. So either he gets his stuff together and goes home yeah. and explains to their sons that their mom has gone around the world with a stranger or he gives up and lives as a hermit. I don't think he cares about the kids based on what we know about him. Yeah. So I don't think he goes home. I think he takes off and is. He's there on business. So he might have a big important job that he's going to go back to to make himself feel special. Whatever. Jeremy goes to jail. Yes. Janet goes around the world. Yes. Where Miles has no wife. No. Who inherits that million dollar cottage? I don't know. Where's his will? Yeah. Hopefully it's somebody short. <laughs> they won't whack their head on that door. The doctor is sad. He was genuinely sad. Yeah, that I think she he was, was too. I don't think he'll remarry or anything. I think he will be like sad. I think he loved her. And when we talked about the Carnax, and you thought that Eileen was kind of a jerk to him. The only thing that makes me think that you might be right is his response to her death. Yeah. Because he says maybe she's happier because he legitimately thinks she was an unhappy person. Yeah, I think so. But that's also a convenient thing to say. Jane Benbow gets back with her grandfather. (laughs) In the snug. (laughs) And the taxi driver, John, he's just happy. Yep. Because he's always happy. And the Pierces have the best story ever. Yeah, they do. <laughs> the Pierces need to write a book. <laughs> I don't know why they didn't see Jeremy kill Rex. They seem to see everything else that goes on at that yeah. lock. You'd think that yeah. they would have seen that. Because it was right in the middle of the bridge. Yeah. It wasn't like off to the side in the woods or anything. They no. weren't hidden at all. It was right out in the open. But The you Mama know. Lucy Museum is uh, going to have some dark days. Maybe one of the old ladies will take it over and run it. Maybe. Oh, I don't know. All I know is that it was instigated by loins. Loins. All of it. The light orgy. Okay, my point about the light orgy is they were in the kitchen with the pepper grinder taking pictures. That's a little heavy. (laughs) And you think there were four people involved. Yeah. plus, Plus the photographer. Yeah. Like, what qualifies as a regular orgy? Eight people? <laughs> I guess. You know, I don't know how many people you need. And I, I got to say, I love our listeners. We don't need any help with this one. <laughs> <laughs> we often say, hey, listeners, if you know more about this than we do, we would love to hear. But this is one topic where that's not the case. I also think this is not a British-US 
misconception either. No, I don't think so. Or, I think orgies are orgies. Yeah. And um, there's there's probably not a different definition in the UK than there is in America yep. or Canada. I think it's a universal thing. And whatever you think is a light orgy is uh, perfect. It's your business. Yep. And we don't need to know. Nope. <laughs> But I think you, we, we can universally say that many of the world's troubles are loin instigated. Yes. Joan episode. Speaks the wisdom there. 54 next week. Yes. Episode season 10, episode three, which is King's crystal, mm-hmm. which has some beautiful crystal being made and some angry factory people, angry factory people and explosions in the woods. Yes. Explosions and international crime. Mm hmm. It's a good one. Yep. All right, maniacs. Until next time, think of those um, those T-shirt ideas. You don't have to draw a picture. You can just send us the phrase or whatever you think. Yep. Um, we'd love to see them. So yep. until then, bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. There's nothing wrong with a husband coming in to straighten up after a wife or children. While well, she's still using it? Straightening always happens. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm sensitive to this because you do this to me all the time. Like I'm in the middle of doing something and you sweep through and, and, and stack everything. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to unstack all those things because I'm still using them. Thank you for tidying up. In the middle of it. I don't know.